Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and let's talk about another topic that'll split your church or your friendships or anything at this point, maybe your social media profile. We're going to continue talking about Black Lives Matter. Now, before we do, I first wanted to go ahead and encourage you to like and share and subscribe to this channel if you find any of these videos helpful, useful, or a blessing to you in any way. And Perhaps, if you are feeling generous, you could give to us at our Patreon page, or you could even buy some of our merch, which I brought, brought those bad boys down to, like, hardly any profit, just because I want you guys to go out there and, you know, create discussions and promote us. So, if you would, go ahead and check out one of those, if you're feeling generous in any way, or if nothing else, please like and share and subscribe. Or if you hate my guts and think that what I'm doing here is terrible, go ahead and hit that dislike button, leave a nice ad hominem attack below, it'll be greatly appreciated. So anyway, uh, today we're talking about Black Lives Matter. Today we're talking part two in particular, we're talking about the institution themselves. So part one, we discussed the moral, do black lives matter? And we said absolutely they do. Black lives matter because they are created the image of God, same as us, and they can't change the, the color of their skin anymore. The leopard can change their spots, and no one can do that. None of us can change the color of our skin, much to many of ours own demise and disappointment, because some of us would love to not be as pasty as we are. In fact, trying to get proper lighting in down here is difficult on my pasty skin. So anyhow, Guys, I first wanted to talk to you simply about the founders themselves. So the founders of the institution, which is Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and Patrice Colors, which is kind of a fun last name for someone in Black Lives Matter, Colors. It's not spelled the same, but still, I find it fun. So these people, they founded Black Lives Matter themselves. Now, when it comes to the institution, I'm going to go through their, their own statements here in a little bit, but Black Lives Matter, their founders themselves call themselves trained Marxists. Behold the following footage. The criticism is helpful. Um, I also think that it might, um, I think of a lot of things. The first thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories. Now with that out of the way, you heard it from their own mouths that they call themselves trained Marxists. Now the issue is a lot of people hear people talk about them saying that they're a Marxist, but not a lot of people know what a Marxist is is or what is Marxism? Who was Karl Marx? All these things. And unfortunately, our society doesn't teach logic, they don't teach philosophy, and they don't teach a lot of these historical figures thoroughly enough or how their ideas have impacted societies in order for people to make an educated decision when these types of things come up. So what is a Marxist? Well, let's talk about Marxism real fast. Marxism is an ideology that wherever has been implanted has led to death and destruction everywhere, and it has never created a successful economic system for people to prosper and to live well. It has never done this. And for those of you who, if you want to hear, hear a hot take, and it's not even a hot take, this is, this is a historical fact, Adolf Hitler, Mao, Stalin, the Castros, and many other horrible communists who have killed literally millions of people, possibly billions really, are all people who have subscribed to Karl Marx or Marxism. Adolf Hitler was known to idolize Karl Marx. So it's a huge thing where we need to understand the fact that, okay, if these horrible people like worship at the feet of Marxism, that's something we should probably pay attention to. 
So when someone is saying that they are trained Marxists, that means they are holding on to the ideals of Marxism. So here, what are some of the ideas? Well, obviously, Karl Marx wrote tons of books. He has a lot of horribly racist things that he has said. He, he says that the N-word, no, that the, that the Jew is basically the N-word of Europe and all these terrible things. It's horrible. So Karl Marx was horribly racist, which is ironic to me that those who are trying to abolish racism subscribe to Marxism, which has a lot of race, racial tendencies in it, racist tendencies. So it has never, it, as I mentioned before, has never worked. And here are some of the ideas, and I can't possibly cover them all. You know, there are some great videos that are short that have, give you kind of the synopsis of what Marxism is. But here's a, some of the ideas for you watching this video, which is the ruling class oppresses, uh, the ruling class oppresses the working class. So, you know, there's this ruling class, or the better ones, and they, they oppress the working class. So he believes that an overthrow must take place. And this overthrow has the goal of getting rid of all classes. So that way, that's not upper, middle, or lower class, they are all the same. Uh, also, they believe it teaches that wealthy, wealth should be distributed equally. So all, your money is not your own, and it's to be distributed equally among everybody else, and everyone thereby has equal wealth. Also, it teaches that there is no private property. You don't own anything in Marxism. It all belongs to the state. So this creates, oddly enough, classism in and of itself. It just turns into the state is one class, and then there's everyone else. So it just turns it into two different classes, which is why it has failed regularly, because the government controlling everything is not healthy for the people, and the people don't get to thrive. Anyway, also it believes that every citizen gives everything to the collective group which means that if you are a mechanic, your mechanic work it goes to the entire collective group. Any wealth that you build will not be built by you and instead goes straight to the state. And again, that means the doctor who might have put in eight to 10 years worth of school and study and practice, he makes the exact same amount of money as the guy who may have gone to a trade school for two years. And that their work contributes equally to society while not making equal money. Well, not well without distributed proper wealth, and it's the fact that they all make it equal, which complicates things because how in the world can you make going to school and working that hard to be that smart in a certain field pay the exact same from the state as someone who might have a two-year associate's degree? See, what it does is it actually discourages people to work that hard to get there if they're going to make the same amount of money anyway. But anyway, I'm ranting. But so every citizen gives to the collective group is the other idea, uh, and which means that they all take care of each other. Uh, and that sounds nice until it's applied, as I mentioned before, because then it creates a different disparity of people not wanting to work for certain things. Also, everything is a government-run utopia. So everything is owned by the state. There is no private property. And therefore, you're giving all the money and the wealth and the strength and the power to a government entity, and the people are just going to have to bear with, and hopefully the government will be merciful. Also, all the strong work for the weak, and the weak are able to reach out to the collective resources for provision. So this is often called, called Marxism. 
communism or also socialism. And of course, in most societies, there's like socialism light. Like I know in America, we have some social programs, uh, which ha you can really dig into that if you want to. I'm going to try to avoid any ranting there. But Marxism is completely at odds with Christianity, which is why a Christian cannot actually support the institution of Black Lives Matter. Now you might go, what? But you know, they're all about taking care of each other and helping, helping the oppressed and da 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 da. And we Christians are supposed to be good with that. But the thing is, is that it's actually completely at odds. These are things that Marxism teaches and goes directly against the Bible. So this is also why, it, also why if you're friends with Christians who are completely, vehemently, and aggressively against Black Lives Matter, this is usually the big reason as to why. So before you go, oh my goodness, they're a bunch of racists, you need to understand, no, they're bringing an ideology under the microscope, and they don't want it to be Trojan horsed in under uh, a morality of Black Lives Matter. And that's really what it kind of is, and we're gonna talk about that in the end. So, no there's all, so first things first, reason one, number one reason why Christianity is in juxtaposition to Black Lives Matter or Marxism, the institution, I should say, the institution of Black Lives Matter or Marxism, is because he, it's, Marx said himself, the first requisite of the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. So in other words, in Marxism, religion cannot exist. The state becomes God, and the state provides for all things, and it must be homogeneous in thought and action. So individuality is essentially destroyed, because you know here in the United States, for example, we call ourselves the melting pot. All these different cultures exist at once within the United States, but with different religions, different beliefs, different structures, different systems, all that. That is not allowed to exist in Marxism. So therefore, religion doesn't get to exist, and therefore, individuality is destroyed. You are told to be part of the homogeneous thought of the state for the better of everyone else. You do not get to be an individual, which is also funny because a lot of these people pushing Marxism all push individuality. They push, you know, uh, bisexuality, uh, homosexuality, transsexuality, and some of them even like uh, pedophilia, pedophilia that they call pedosexuality. All these people push these things and say, oh, just be true to yourself as the individual. Meanwhile, they're very thought process says that, no, you must be homogeneous in thought. There is no room for the individual. So interesting there, and this is kind of what the issue with postmodernism in general and things like Black Lives Matter and the things that are coming out in, in the progressive world is the fact that it's all self-contradictory at some point or the other. They all, I, all the ideologies don't work and they try to create a plurality of ideologies while it actually ends up falling apart and breaking under its own weight. So this is a major issue. This is why sometimes if you're trying to have conversations with people and they're contradicting themselves left and right and you can't seem to get them to think it is because in postmodernism, this is the world that they created of, of plurality. And this is why I say all the time that logic and consistency, arguments, uh, debate and philosophy, all these things should be taught regularly in schools because it will teach people how to be more consistent. But anyway, the, so the state becomes God and provides for all things. But the thing is, is that this destroys, as I mentioned, individuality. And here's the thing, God created us all individually with a purpose. Um, Proverbs 16, four through five says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everything has been made for its purpose. Me, have, I have been made for a purpose. You have been made for a purpose. We are all equally created with a purpose. And if you get rid of the individu individuality, you get rid of individuals, 
and only go for the collective, then you are therefore destroying the system and structure that God has because God created all individually for a purpose. And the idea here, by the way, is that they believe that the individual must completely sacrifice himself for the collective group, where in Christianity, we believe that the individual is commanded to help take care of the collective, but you do not sacrifice the individual. And that is a big difference in philosophy. Also, Marxism teaches that there's no private property. You do not own anything. It is not your own. In fact, it was really funny when, uh, when that Chaz thing happened in Seattle, there's a tweet that somebody let out uh, saying that, hey, somebody sold their laptop, and some of the officials at Chaz responded back with, thank you for sacrificing yourself for the allies, and all these different things. So you see that there's no private property in, the, in this idea of Marxism and communism. And this goes directly against the idea of the Bible that has the idea of private property is something that we all have, something we all own, and something we all have a right to. Deuteronomy 5.19, the, you know, you're, we're talking the Ten Commandments here that everyone always talks about. It says directly, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. You can't steal something if, it doesn't own, if they don't personally own it. Does that make sense? So by the very nature of stealing something is indicative of having private property. It is someone else's property, so you can't take it. Also, Deuteronomy 5.21 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, which means that we, have, you know, we own our family. You know, my family is my family. It's not your family. It's my family. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, which means your neighbor owns the house. It is their private property, or his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. In other words, you must be content with your possessions and not be trying to get his possessions. So, again, the idea of no private property goes completely against the idea of Christianity or anything that God has laid out that we all own our own property. So throughout scripture, we also see references of possessions that we own or that people own or have earned and that they are to give or whatever or to sacrifice, things like that. So anyway, also in Marxism and under a communist regime, the idea is that work, and this is the utopia idea, which is why it has never worked, that work itself, labor, is not required. So you don't, you know, those who are, you know, have a harder time working, those who might be lazy or have disabilities, they would say, or inability to be as productive as these other people, all can just cash in on all the work of society around them. The problem is that this creates another issue of people not being required to work. And Paul says some very harsh words in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. He says this, for even when you, we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So according to Paul, if you don't work, you don't get to eat. This goes into what we say all the time as Christians that, hey, you know what? If you don't do this, you don't deserve this. And the whole idea is for every action, you, there is a reaction that's going to come with it. If I work hard, the reaction should be that I get paid so I can take care of my own. And therefore, if I don't work and if I'm lazy and I just reject that part of society, then I don't deserve to eat. And this is why they even had that, that I, the servants. So people who maybe could not afford things could sell themselves into labor as a social program where they work for somebody in order for that person to take care of them in return for their work. So that was the other idea. So even those who were, you know, 
they couldn't get a good job, could sell themselves to somebody to be able to continue to work to be provided for. And of course, this is not the same kind of slavery that you're thinking like in the early 1600s and things like that. It is a, it's a serv servitude. It is an idea of like, um, it is essentially, a, a, it was another way of employment to work up the economic chain. That's the, the synopsis I'll give for now. Also, remember, they don't believe in any personal wealth. So the problem is that Jesus, in multiple parables, talks about being a good steward. And in Matthew 25 especially, it talks about this as the stewards are, were giving very different pieces of wealth and what they did with it. They were held to a test. And in Matthew 25, 26, Jesus says uh, in this parable, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. So notice he's lazy. You knew that what that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. So he's saying, hey, uh, did I not do this and should I not be re returned for my labor? And here you have been lazy and not doing what a proper employee or servant or whatever should do. And then in Matthew 25, 29, he says, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that he has will be taken away. So notice this, those who, you know, have more will be given more essentially. So those who work harder will get more. This is a godly principle of, of diligence, of stewardship, of application and just the idea of discipline really. Disciplining myself to work to be able to get. So you have to earn what you own. In Christianity, you don't just get to have things because people are nice. You have to be working and diligent and disciplined. And for those who are, dis who are disabled or have other struggles or whatever, Christians are commanded to help take care of the orphan, the widow, and those people. We are ordered to help and take care of one another, but not at the expense of completely sacrificing my home. So to those who have more, will they, they will get more. Those who work harder will get more. This basically means that if you want to work hard, you get to play hard. That's the idea here. Now, of course, that means that not everyone's going to be equal, right? Like financially speaking, uh, people make more money than me. That's okay. But I work for the wealth that I have. And if I want to make more wealth, I can easily go to school or get other certifications or look for another job that allows me to make more. But I still have to put in the legwork for it. I don't get to just cash in on somebody else's hard work and claim their money for my own because of my lack of discipline in other areas. So. Also, this idea is that there are no wages for yourself. You know, the, the collective group gets to command all your wages. But the thing is, is if there's no wages for yourself, then that means it belong, my wages belong to everyone else. However, James 5.4 says this, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So in other words, He's reprimanding these people because these people are working hard and he's not giving them proper pay. And we as Christians are commanded to give proper pay. And that means we ought to be paid for our work. Which, by the way, to be paid for your work means that there is indication of private property and private financial ownership. Paul even says, is not a man basically entitled to the work of his brow? He basically says, hey, are, are, are those who work not entitled to money? So me as a laborer for Christ, should you not give me something for that? So without incentive to work, without incentive for financial gain, without incentive for personal property, without any form of incentive of property or anything, there is no incentive for work which means you run into a problem that people will not want to work. And this is what we've seen in places 
that are completely left in an impoverished state because of, of Marxism. And we see this in Venezuela, a place that was once prospering is now, now has bread lines because this was implemented. And so you have people who, why would I go to school to be a doctor for eight years when I could simply stay at home and do nothing and make money staying at home and doing nothing from the state? Uh, and then, you know, the, the farmers who grow the food for the rest of our society go, well, why should I farm if I can just make money and buy? Well, then what ends up happening? Oh, and by the way, my farm isn't even my own. It belongs to the state. So then what ends up happening is that no one at works. Uh, no one is inventing. No one is trying. Uh, the government possesses everything and takes everything. And then the individuals are no longer individuals. They're part of a collective labor force. And most of them might not even work in general. So then... Poverty just explodes, starvation, death, and destruction take place because it is immoral to take someone else's wealth. It is immoral to take someone else's possessions. These are morals instituted by God. So Marxism, and it acknowledges this, Karl Marx acknowledges that they must get abolish religion, but Marxism is an atheistic view of the world that is in juxtaposition to godliness. It does not work. And that is why the people who tend to subscribe to Marxism are atheists or people who completely hate Christianity. And now someone might go, well, hold up, Pastor Will. I know about this one part in scripture where Marxism and communism takes place, where they all got rid of their own wealth. And they oftentimes, people will refer to Acts chapter 2 for this. Well, here's the thing. A ma many attempt to combine the Bible with communism, and it just doesn't work. So they'll take a place like this, Acts Chapter 2, verses 42 through 45. Okay, let's just look at it. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And this is where they go. This is where they bring it up. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so people will take this and go, see, right there. They got rid of all their possessions. They took care of each other as a collective group. And it worked for the early church, right? No, this is actually a complete misrepresentation of the text. So first off, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, this is describing what they did. It's not commanding us to do it. So describing versus prescribing, okay? The other issue is, is it said this. They, are, they sold their what? Their possessions, they sold them, which means that I possess it and I am now selling my mug to you for profit. And then what I do with my profit, I can choose to give to others or I can choose for my own benefit. It still acknowledges it as my possession or as their possessions. And it says that it was their food. It uses possessive cases here. So it's important to notice the fact that it is still acknowledging here that this is private property that, is, that people are choosing to sell in order to benefit this group in order for them to go out for the gospel. And people do this all the time in churches still. They work hard, they work and build wealth, and then they give their wealth to a church or to a mission, or they might buy a car for somebody who is in need of a car. I've known many people who have done that very thing. And so this idea is their generous hearts. It, it is not generous to completely give up 
everything of yourself and your family, that is foolishness. But to be giving of your own possessions is generous because you are giving something of yourself or that you have earned to somebody else. This is an important distinction. So remember, God intended for his people to develop wealth and take care of each other with their possessions. That was the idea. If you read through the Torah, if you look through the New Testament, you see that people work hard. I mean, Paul was a tent maker, and he used that skill, that ability, to be able to provide for himself on the road. So God intended for his people to develop wealth and take care of each other via their own possessions. So that's important. And so this idea of a trained Marxist is what the people are behind Black Lives Matter goes directly against godliness. Now, if you go to the Black Lives Matter website itself, you will see other things that they say they believe. A couple of them to know, I'm just gonna read through some of this and talk about it. So first off, it says that four years ago, it, what is now known as the Black Lives Matter Global Network began to organize. It started out as a chapter-based, member-led organization whose mission was to build local power and to intervene when violence was inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. Now, this idea of preventing violence on anyone is a good thing, but their methodology is not. So in the years since, we've committed to struggling together and to imagining and creating a world free of anti-blackness where every black person has social, economic, and political power to thrive. Now here's the thing, this is important as well because Marxism believes in taking care of the collective group. You need to understand the fact that they're not referring to equal opportunity here for everyone to be able to have equal opportunity to go up through the ranks and earn their own living. No, their idea here is, remember, sacrificing the individual for the collective, which is ironic because they are supposed to be advocating for black people. Meanwhile, they are trying to get rid of the individual, so they're trying to get rid of the individual of blackness into a whole conglomerate group of all of us being equal, making the same amount of money, making and not working, and all being part of this collective government entity. So anyway. Black Lives Matter began as a call to action in response to state-sanctioned violence and anti-black racism. Our intention from the very beginning was to connect black people from all over the world who have shared desire for justice to act together in their communities. The impetus for that commitment was and still is the rampant and deliberate violence inflicted on us by the state. So again, they are indicating, and this we're gonna talk about the movement itself in the next video, that the state has been and always will be violent against black people, so therefore an overthrow must take place. So it says that they are enraged by the death of Trayvon Martin, and I need you guys to actually look up what happened to Trayvon Martin. It is not this, um, it is not the narrative that they are going with, the facts are in. So it's actually based on a lie. Then they say, we acknowledge, respect, and celebrate differences and commonalities. This creates another issue because again, they believe that we all should be part of a collective group and it's hard to celebrate differences and commonalities if we're all supposed to be a singular collective. Also, it says, we work vigorously for freedom and justice for black people and by extension, all people. And uh, here's what's funny is I agree with that statement, but I, I know what they mean by this now. Remember, we have Marxism. They t say that they're trained Marxists, so we know that this has a bent to it of what they mean. So that's the thing. When you're reading some of these things, you go, oh, I, I agree with this, but you are reading it with a natural logical mind, not thinking from a Marxist perspective. It also says we intentionally build and nurture a beloved community that is bonded together through a beautiful struggle that is restorative, not depleting. 
We are unapolog unapologetically black in our position. In affirming that black lives matter, we need not qualify our position. To love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. Now keep in mind, the black community is free. They are completely free. So this idea of freeing them and bringing justice and all that, we're gonna talk more about that in, our, in the movement video next. But keep in mind here, black people are already free. We ourselves, as part of the global black family, and we are aware of the different ways we're impacted or privileged as black people who exist in different parts of the world. We are guided by the fact that all black lives matter, regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs, or disbeliefs, immigration status, or location. It's funny that you say they all matter. Meanwhile, you hold to Marxism, which believes that the religious beliefs of all black people, which by the way, black people are predominantly Christian in the United States. So anyway. Also, uh, talking about their, the various you know, sexualities and all that, we're gonna talk about that here in a little bit. It says, we make space for transgendered brothers and sisters to participate and lead. And here is where that idea of Marxism needs to come into play. Notice how they refer to each other as brothers, sisters, and if you watch some of the videos with these people, the founders, they refer to each other as allies as well. This is completely communistic verb verbiage. They, hey, brother, hey, uh, how you doing, brother? And grabbing the forearm and, you know, sister, our allies. This is, these, this is communist verbiage and is there for a reason because they have identified, as you saw at the beginning of this video, already as Marxists. They says that we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. So here's the thing. They're saying that now to be cisgendered, which for those who do not know means that you're sexually straight, you are a man who's attracted to a woman or a woman attracted to a man. And they're saying that to be cisgendered is privilege because these other people are bullied and whatnot, or they might be put down by society. So keep this in mind. Now they're already, they're already kind of hinting to the fact that being straight, which is, by the way, God's natural way, read Romans 1 if you disagree, God's natural way of things working and working sexually. So it says we build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments in which men are centered. So again, there is now saying that men are the center of all things, which by the way uh, is actually not true, but this is what they're going with. It says we practice empathy. This is now saying that those who disagree with them do not practice empathy. This is one of the things of Marxism that they're going to go with, and the thing is with this whole new progressive agenda is the fact that they believe that they own empathy, as, a, as opposed to I can't be empathetic unless I subscribe to their beliefs. Anyway, we, it says we engage comrades. Another uh, communist phrase. We engage comrades with intent to learn about and connect with their contacts. Goodness gracious. And then it says, we make spaces family friendly and enable parents to fully participate with their children. But notice this. We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts so they can mother in private even as they participate in public justice work. So notice, they, they participate in public justice work and then they work these jobs. They had to slip that in there. But well, notice this as well. It's a patriarchal idea that requires mothers to work double shifts. 
How's that a patriarchal idea if you choose to work double shifts? Now, granted, you might need to work double shifts to make it by because perhaps you don't have a man in your life. And we know that the black community, we're going to talk about this in the next video more depthly, has the highest fatherlessness rate of all ethnicities in the United States alone. So yes, this is not a patriarchal idea, but the idea is, here's, a, here's this reality. If you're a single parent, you're not going to be as economically, economically prepared as a double parent household, as a mother and father household. This is not a patriarchal idea. This is simply a God, sent, that is an idea of a godly marriage, of how God intended a man and a woman taking care of children. And this is, uh, of course, idea of patriarchal. Now, again, this is, an, to them, they're anti-Christian and anti-this. So everything I'm talking about right now, they're against. But the reality is, if you want to be economically prepared, and well off, you need to make sure you wait to be married to have children. Studies have even shown this, that those who wait to have children are successful economically. And it's because you're not running around chasing children and you also have somebody else to fall back on. And that, this, and that is where this comes directly to head. Their next paragraph. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Now notice this. So they already just acknowledge the fact, so they're calling this patriarchal, this idea of a single woman having to work two jobs. I'm sorry, if I'm a single father, I would probably have to work two jobs too to take care of my children. But then we get to the real root of the matter is that they look to disrupt, which means to destroy, to dismantle, to overthrow the Western prescribed nuclear family. You know what that is? A father and a mother with children, married together, taking care of their own family. And it says, what does it do? The collective now must take care of the family. This is where the Marxism comes through. And this is why Christians cannot support this institution because they are trying to overthrow the God-prescribed marriage. This Western-prescribed nuclear family is really from God, this idea of a one man with one woman having children and that we take care of it. This idea of marriage, by the way, isn't, the idea of marriage historically has never been just two people who love each other and are committed to each other. It's Usually, first off, if you go historically, it was an economic thing. It was a thing that, hey, we're going to get together and we're going to marry for economic purposes uh, for many reasons so that way we can have children and stuff and things will go well. It wasn't just for love. Saying, not saying that love wasn't a part of it, but it was not just for love. But also, it's a covenantal relationship. It's an idea of I am going to be with you for better or for worse, and I'm going to take care of you, you're going to take care of me, and we're going to take care of our children, and we're going to work together for the rest of our lives, and we are going to be committed in a holy and perfect covenant with one another, never to split up, never to break up, always to do this. So anyway, so that alone, because they want to destroy the very foundation of marriage and the idea of the nuclear family, the Western prescribed nuclear family, which is actually a Middle Eastern prescribed ideal <laughs> from Israel, but anyway... And it says, then they said, we foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative, which is straight people, thinking, or rather the belief that all the world are, are heterosexual, unless she, he, or they disclose otherwise. So here we see that they also affirm transsexuality. And if you're a biblical Christian, you cannot support homosexuality, transsexuality, queer sexuality, or you know any other of these sexualities besides what God created and what God intended, which is one man with one woman for one life. That is what God has always been. Read scripture. You as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you cannot support that. And before someone goes, yeah, but why do I have to vote or you know, support everything that's 
fits with my Christian worldview. You know, separation of church and state is something that people talk about. But what you're doing is that you're forgetting the fact that no matter what you support, you are supporting a moral belief. So if I'm supporting nothing but Christian beliefs, that does not make me immoral. Any more than them supporting what they believe makes them, in their eyes, more immoral. So the idea here is no matter what you're supporting, you're supporting a moral ideal. So if I'm going to vote or support something, I need to be voting and supporting for godly ideals just as they are going to be supporting their ideals. You can't separate your ideals from your vote. I can't say I'm a Christian and then say it's okay, though, to abort babies. I can't say, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian, but I'm totally okay with us dominating and conquering in war. That's not how it works. You don't get to separate your beliefs from that which you support. If you're a Christian, you have to support Christian beliefs. And if, you're, and if you support non-Christian beliefs, then maybe perhaps you should consider whether or not you actually want to be a, called a Christian or you want to be a dedicated Christian at all. And I know this is harsh words, but this is important because you can't su separate them. I am very libertarian. I believe God gives free will to all men and they can choose what to do, whatever they wish to do. And I'm not going to sit there and say that someone can't do some of these ungodly activities, but I will say I can't support it and I won't vote for you to be, you know, normalized either. So anyway, uh, God gives free will, so I'll acknowledge free will as well. And it says, we cultivate an intergenerational and communal network free from ageism. We believe that all people, regardless of age, show up with the capacity to lead and learn. And notice this, again, this is Marxist idealism. This is this idea of communal work. We all are one collective group. And it says, we embody, practice, we embody and practice justice, liberation, and peace in our engagements with one another. Which is funny because they really don't engage in peace since we see that also during all these riots, all the burning downs, and all the people have died because of these Black Lives Matter riots. And I know there's a difference between the riot, we're going to talk about this in the next video more, there's a difference between rioters and looters and people who are just protesting. But the thing is that the people behind Black Lives Matter have not actively spoken out against it, but rather in favor of the looting, which is funny because they just said that, hey, we engage, we believe in peace and all our engagements with one another. That's your official statement. But meanwhile, you have people who support you and you yourselves have affirmed violence and to do these things. So they don't even practice what they preach, which is pretty normal for postmodernism and Marxism. They do not live consistently with their worldview. They can't because you can't separate it. It's just, it is what it is. So in the, in, the, in the end, I went through a lot of this. I understand this is a long video, but I need you guys to understand the fact that if the institution themselves is ungodly and it, it is immoral and it is evil. Everything they're going for is going directly against God. Now, this is the, the but here's the thing. It's a, tr it's a sweet bait and, bait and switch that they are pulling here. They are saying Black Lives Matter, and that is their name, Black Lives Matter, and therefore it tricks a lot of people into thinking that what they say is good. You know, well, of course Black Lives Matter. So everyone jumps on this, on this train, and really what they're doing is they're jumping on a Trojan horse. It's that they're, they're masquerading as being anti-racist and as acknowledging that these people matter, and they're masquerading communism. Marxism, and a much deeper, violent, aggressive, and horrible ideology. It's a really, really good trick, really, politically speaking, because not a lot of people will do their research when it comes to what they believe and what Marxism even is when they admit it. And not a lot of these people, not a lot of them are following it directly what these people say. So they don't know what is being taught. They simply don't know. 
So a lot of people, it, it is a great bait and switch. It really is. It, politically speaking, it's like, wow, that's that's a dirty move, but that's what they're doing. They're saying Black Lives Matter while they're masquerading underbelly ideology with it. So anyhow, hope you like this video. Hope this helped clarify. So in the end, Christians should not support Black Lives Matter, the institution. They should support the moral, but not the institution. So this is part two of three videos. We're going to do a third video, hopefully here soon, regarding this ideal. But anyhow, thank you guys for tuning into the Church Split. Like and sub to, uh, to the channel. Share it along to those who you think it might be beneficial to. And if you'd like, please give to our Patreon or go ahead and check out some of our product. But anyway, thank you guys. My name is Will. This has been the Church Split. Take care.